0: Welcome to the 1,000 Hours Outside Podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I'm the founder of 1,000 Hours Outside. And I met a new friend at a homeschool conference recently, which is a great place to meet new friends. Heather Lefebvre, welcome.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here.
0: I'm so excited you're here. We had booths that were kind of kitty-corner. And yours was just so darling. You had these shelves set up and all of these nature items and then of course your artwork is just so stunning and our group of kids sat right next to your booth for basically the entire weekend
1: I know we were so impressed I know our kids all of our kids don't behave all the time but your kids were so good that weekend and they were so easy to have right there
0: (laughs) they were right there so it was great to me and it's been a while since we've talked about nature journaling on our podcast That's what you do. You have a website. I can't even believe you got the URL the nature journaler
1: I know I I honestly felt a little guilty <laughs> But it was there. So I had to use it.
0: That's so cool Heather <laughs> the nature journaler and it's the same on social media at the nature journaler. This is incredible so people yeah. can find you there I had a conversation, it's been a long time, with John Muir Laws, who's sort of a nature mm-hmm. journaling guru. He's got a bunch of YouTube right. videos. And at that time when we talked, I wasn't totally sold on it, actually. But then right. we talked, sure. I thought, well, what are we going to talk about for an hour? And then that episode ended up actually being two hours long about journaling and about the growth and about growth mindset and looking back Mm -hmm. and seeing how you've grown and dyslexia. We talked about a lot of things that a journal can be this sort of safe place, especially during childhood where it doesn't have to be spelled right. And everything doesn't have to look right It's your own safe space. So I was sold after that conversation, but haven't had a conversation since about nature journaling. And so thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, I'm so excited. And I John Laws, I think is sort of the mentor for all of us involved in this. So inspiring. And he is always the first person to say that journaling can look different for everyone in every family, in every situation. And it's all about learning and the experience. And so yeah. My take on nature journaling is a little different from his and from other people who do it. And that's the great part is that everyone can do it in the way that appeals most to them.
0: Yeah, I love that. And yours is this mix of these beautiful watercolors and also beautiful script. And I love that. And you sell some of your prints online, different cards and things. People can look that up which is beautiful, the way that you weave all that together. It's really eye-catching. And you sent me home with this beautiful card, and I love it. It's darling. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your story. You wrote on your website that you are in line of four generations of artists. So this is a neat thing. Tell us all about that.
1: Yeah. So I was born in Vermont, which, as you can imagine, is an incredible place as far as nature goes. So I was surrounded by tall mountains and beautiful valleys filled with farms. And the smell of cows was one of the first smells of my childhood. And it's still something that I hold dear to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> so my mom would take me into the woods. I'm As a child, I remember it being daily, whether or not it was, I don't know. But we were outside a lot. And not only that, but I was surrounded by artists. My mom was a third generation artist. Her mom and my Great grandparents had all passed away by the time I was a child, but I had the art and the stories. And then my aunt and uncle lived in the town store and they were full-time fine artists. So the art wow. was right around me, right from the beginning, which kind of had an interesting effect though, because of this gorgeous art as a young child, without them saying or doing anything, I felt a little challenged, or what do you intimidated? Because of all this gorgeous art. And I think I was afraid to dive in and start. But actually later in life with nature journaling helped me kind of overcome that and realize I just could put some marks and some paint on paper. And that was considered successful. (laughs) So, but yeah, I think being born into Vermont surrounded by art, it just set the tone for a life that was connected to nature, drawn to nature, and also drawn to art and there Mm -hmm. you have it nature journaling
0: (laughs) (laughs) right there that is an interesting story though you think oh what a cool thing to have these generations of artists but then also when you're five six seven eight and you try your hand at it and you can't do it well because you're a beginner that could be very discouraging
1: yeah or 20 25 30 35 (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and I should say, um, you know, a lot, the journals that I do with my online classes can have a more of a, a finished feel to them. But I also have journals that are very, uh, the term ugly isn't really a good one, but very unfinished. <laughs> it's this pencil that's just writing lists of things or experimenting with watercolors. So I do want to say up front that Not all of my artwork looks finished like Mm -hmm. some of the journals that you might see
0: Mm -hmm. online or or what you have set up at a conference. Sure. Yeah. So and Uh, I think John Muir Laws does a really cool job of showing that in his books, which he has all sorts of different kinds. Like you say, it doesn't all look the same. And I think that is one of the scary parts about nature journaling is we think, am I doing it right? That's the biggest question. Well, what do you really do? And am I doing it right? And he sort of dispelled that myth when I talk to him and then throughout his books that it looks however you want to look and you can see through your life, through your posts, through what you're interested in, that it really helps with the power of observation.
1: Yeah. I think that's the best thing about it. Just really helping people to take the time to slow down and see something rather than just look at it. I, I think the difference is looking and seeing when you're seeing something, you're actually noticing things about it, and you're having questions come to mind, you're making connections in your head, and it's going to change you in some way, rather than just looking where you just actually, oh, yeah, it's a treat, and off
0: you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see that, because you just did a birding trip in New York, and you knew what all the different kinds of birds were, a lot of the different kinds of flowers, and that comes from from actually yeah. observing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no. I, I knew some of the birds. <laughs> I
0: can say I knew a lot more than I knew.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we're all on this learning journey. So, yeah, it was but just taking a theme like that, I was going to New York City to visit a friend. So my focus to go to New York City wasn't specifically birding, but in the background I had this little theme running through my trip. Can I see some birds? Where am I going to see birds? Where might they show up in sort of an unexpected way? And that happens. I mean, We we walked into the public library that just happened to be having a show going on in which an Audubon book, one of the original ones, was on display, a full-size rendering of the turkey, the wild turkey. And there was yeah. bird. There was a family of birds right there. And then riding on the bus one day, my friend said, oh, yeah, on this road, people have graffiti birds all over the fronts of shops. So I look out the window and sure enough, there's a yellow warbler painted right on someone's shop window as it was Mm -hmm. closed. So it's just so fun to to take a nature theme and tie it, weave it all the way into the rest of your life.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really neat thing. I wouldn't have thought to look for it in real life and also in paintings and things like, I've never thought of that.
1: Well, okay. So it also helps me because I can be a little overwhelmed. If I went to an art museum or any kind of museum or a trip, whatever, I want to see everything. I want to capture all the beauty. And then I get stuck because I don't even know where to start. But kind of taking a theme just really helps to settle me down and to kind of make me feel successful at noticing something. Hmm. So yeah, I did. I did this with flowers last time I went to a brand new art for me, brand new art museum. And I thought, okay, I'm going to look for the flowers as I walk through this beginning with medieval going through, you know, all the Renaissance and into modern art. And the flowers were what drew me. So yeah, it's a really helpful thing.
0: Yeah, Yeah. it's a great idea. I think that kids would love that too. We have this one park that we go to this recreation area, it's got a cool beach. So we go there a lot in the summer and it's a pretty far drive back into the park and there's a lot of bikers. So the kids love to count. We always count how many bikers do we see on the way in and on the way out. And so you take something like that and it doesn't actually have to be just the birds that are flitting around because sometimes they're real quick but you were taking pictures of, like you said, the murals on the sides of the doors Mm -hmm. and to actually notice it's a great idea. Yet for any place you go to say, look, we're going to be looking today for X, Y, or Z. How many can we find? What's the differences between them? It's a great idea. So you had a lot of birding things that you saw when you were in New York. And then you said you saw a hornbeam tree. And I don't even know yes. what that is.
1: Well, I've been noticing it for a couple of years because it has this gorgeous seed like flower structure that kind of comes down with maybe 10 or 15, 16 little. Flowers in a in a long line. It looks like a party decoration. So you've got the beautiful leaves, and then this party decoration that hangs down from it. And it's like, what is this tree? I need to know. And then finally, while I was in Central Park, I looked it up online and realized it was a hornbeam that I hear I've I've been hearing in literature for a couple of years and never connecting the dots. And so now I'm going to have to remember. In Central Park, I finally figured it all out.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. What a cool trip! That's a neat thing to do, to tie it into a trip that you're already going on. And just to see what you can see. And I think that really helps life be more exciting and more wonder-filled. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what a cool thing. And even I saw just recently, you were talking about the butterflies. I mean, really, you can see it through your posts, that you are observing the world and excited about what's in the world and learning about the world because you wrote about the first butterflies that you usually see in the spring. And I didn't know some Mm -hmm. of these names. So tell us some of the butterflies you've already seen.
1: So the morning cloak usually is the first one that I see. And I only learned about this a couple of years ago. But once you learn about something and you see it, it usually sticks in your mind. And then you start to see it regularly. And the morning cloak Mm -hmm. usually appears for me about the middle of March. And two years in a row, I've seen it in the exact same place in the same woods. And now that I'm coming. Trained looking for it. I'll see it everywhere. In fact, I think I saw one in New York City when I was there. So, yeah, and with the morning cloak, then I've been seeing cabbage whites and some little, the little orange and black ones. They're much smaller than monarchs and their name escapes me now. And then we also saw a little blue, I think. So, yeah, I'm just so surprised that so early in the year we can see such a range of butterflies. And then I think I even saw a caterpillar on a tree, which I don't think of caterpillars until later in the summer, but there they are. So mm-hmm. yeah, I guess my philosophy with all of this is life can be a great big treasure hunt. And it's so much more exciting when you have that kind of a mindset and nature is so endless. We're just never going to run out of subjects
0: to be looking for i love that and really neat to have that mark the days and the seasons to say look i know about this time every year these pop out it's the same with the flowers that come up every year you know about this time you can expect and it's exciting because it's been a whole year since the last time so like i said you really see through your postings that this nature journaling has given you an eye for observation an eye for wonder Mm -hmm. an eye for new things And that's something that we all want to have because that really enhances our life. So let's switch a little bit. We're big on biographies here. And I read a long time ago that by reading biographies, it just helps you be more confident because you see that everyone's lives have these ups and downs and peaks and valleys and people just keep going. And that's what adds to their success. Mm -hmm. And so a unique twist that you do on nature journaling is that you study the lives of these authors that we adore, and how nature affected and influenced them. So this is a unique thing I've not heard of before, really a special and exciting idea to look at the authors through that lens. So tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so actually, I grew up reading a lot of biographies, and these men and women inspired my life so much. certain times in my life, I wasn't around a lot of other people, just where our family moved. And I think the books became my friends and their lives became my role models. And then as an adult, I began to think, well, what was it that helped these men and women get through their difficult times? What inspired their life work, those that wrote books or created art? And then I thought, well, what about nature? How did nature influence them. And lo and behold, nature plays a large role in so many of these people. So some of the ones that I have studied in depth and then created classes on are people like Jane Austen, the Bronte sisters, Beatrix Potter, Louisa May Alcott, Laura Ingalls Wilder, Ellen Montgomery, a few others like this. C.S. Lewis is right now someone that I'm studying in preparation for a class. Wow! But you think about Jane Austen and the books that so many of us love. She spent most of her life in one county, the county of Hampshire in southern England. She was surrounded by farmland and by the really highly structured land of the wealthy, the gentry. So she kind of split her world between those two. Her father was not only a minister, but also a farmer. So she had to help with that kind of work in the family garden and on the farm. But then she also got to go and stay at these very wealthy homes and experience the gorgeous gardens that they had. And then it turns out, you know, I think there's a nature sort of trend that happens with every time period. And the nature Mm. trend during Jane Austen's time was the picturesque. And this was brought forth by a man named William Gilpin. And British people started taking boat trips and train trips. Well, was it not train trips yet? Boat trips, walking tours in order to see these picturesque areas that kind of had this gothic feel to them. Maybe a, a ruined castle and, and trees just right, place just right. They would kind of also doctor their little drawings of these places to make them look even more picturesque than they actually were. Mm -hmm. So it's fun to just hear the background of this. And then Beatrix Potter that we all, I love so much, and her drawings that are so steeped in nature. Mm -hmm. Now, she didn't get to be outside as much as a child because her mom kept her locked in (laughs) the top of their London house. But that kind of had an effect on her of desiring nature so much that when she was an adult, she saved her money and purchased a farm out there in the middle of nowhere in the Lake District, far away from London, and just continued her nature-steeped life there. And look at the drawings that that resulted in and children that were raised for generations on her little beautiful books. Wow. So, and then one more that I'll mention right now, Louisa May Alcott, there is someone who lived a very difficult life. She never married. She spent most of her adulthood trying to earn money to support her parents and her sisters. And nature, I think, was her solace where she got a lot of inspiration. In fact, she was a runner at the time when, this is during the Civil War period, women really weren't supposed to be runners, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> But running after, this was how she coped with her difficult life. And even when she went to Washington, D.C. during the Civil War to be a a nurse in a hospital there, during some of her few hours off, she would go running through the outskirts of the city. So is this fun to learn the nature that was really providing a solace for these women. I think someone said about the Bronte sisters who lost their mom at a really young age, but it was the Yorkshire Moors that really mothered those children mm.
0: through their childhood years. So Wow, this is fascinating. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I wanna make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase, exclusively at drinkag1.com. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com/slash one thousand hours to get ten percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P dot com/slash one thousand hours. To look at these authors through those lenses, how interesting! Yeah. So then you have these courses where you connect the nature exploration with the lives and landscapes of the beloved authors and artists. So it's this interweaving which I love interweaving. We should learn it yeah. all together and not in yeah. separate categories. So you're learning oh. about history. You're learning about geography. Obviously, mm-hmm. it is so important to read biographies and to learn about other people's lives. You're learning about nature, botany. So talk us through one of these types of classes that you offer.
1: So I, I have two six-week courses and there's three authors in each of those. And then there's a couple that are just focused on one person So what I want to do is to look at, we look at the person's history, their growing up years. Then we look at the landscapes that they grew up in or that then they lived in later on. And then we look at our own landscape through that lens, kind of go out on some nature walks, do some journaling, observe the differences and the similarities. What Jane often was, she stayed in such a small area throughout her life, but she did move a little bit In that class, we kind of make a geographical timeline of her life. And then we make one of our own lives and Mm -hmm. notice the differences in landscapes where we might have lived or houses. If you haven't moved out of out of the same town, you might might have changed houses or the landscape around you might have changed over the years. So we look at that, and then I do have to throw in literary influences, just a little part of the course is what influenced these writers, because they didn't just come out of a vacuum. So we always talk about the books that they were reading, and we do a number of watercolor tutorials, because that's kind of the heart of my classes. We do watercolors of their house. We always paint their house. We paint a number of the flowers or trees that they would have grown up with. And we always have a couple of tea times, tea times where we discuss their literary influences, but we might also throw in just a little bit about their historic dress. I like to dress up in historic time period for those tea times.
0: Oh, I've seen that. It's so fun. This is so fun. This isn't anything that I've ever done, just because I'm just not good at fashion or anything (laughs) like that. I went to something recently where you were supposed to wear a fancy hat and i didn't have one and then i got there and someone had this table of i mean they probably had 150 hats they were letting people wear <laughs> so it's not my thing but i i'm so drawn to it because it is it's such it's different and yeah it's interesting to think about how life has changed just in a couple hundred years the dress and the styles and the fashion and what was acceptable and what wasn't. So that's super interesting. I've seen your pictures dressed up.
1: Yeah. It's so fun. And you can always see just a little bit of, how things from back then translate into our fashion nowadays. A couple of my classes, we talked specifically about that in the Tea Time. But then we bake a recipe because you've got to taste history too. <laughs> so I like doing that, a historic recipe. And then you can close your eyes and imagine what it'd be like living back when these men and women lived. But it's just a, another fun way to explore the nature that is around you through the lens of these lives that we are already so attached to through their literature. And yeah, it's, it's just a lot of fun. And I love tying all the threads together and using nature as Mm -hmm. that kind of core
0: yeah and it gives you interesting stuff to talk about and to know i think if you're out on a nature hike and you know what the different butterflies are called and you're in a group that's really valuable knowledge people are excited about that the kids want to learn the other adults want to learn same with the birds all of these different things so we're heading into the summer here a six-week course sounds like it would be super fun to do during a summer what kind of ages do you end up having taking the courses.
1: So I focused the material for high school and adults because I want it to be really full and well-rounded, but a lot of middle schoolers can easily do this even on their own. And then I would say there's so many different parts of these courses that if there's an adult to kind of direct that lots of elementary kids have and can participate in these kinds of courses. And because of the different types of activities, you can choose different things for different kids. I also have a summer course on wind in the willows and it's broken up over three months for the whole summer. And it's so much fun to study those four animals and the landscapes that were in Kenneth Graham's life, how they differ or how they're similar to ours go out on nature walks and look for maybe muskrats or whatever might be in the waterways near you. There's a lot of fun. And that one also has what I call out-of-the-box nature journaling activities. I think in that one, we made a little miniature garden with little plants that might be that could grow in our area. And we even did a sewing project in that. So there's a couple of other things to get kids' attention if they really aren't into painting or drawing.
0: Wow. Yeah, they're really comprehensive. So people can find those on thenaturejournaler.com because you have that amazing Mm -hmm. URL, thenaturejournaler.com, easy to remember. (laughs) All of these different courses, what is the most popular one?
1: Well, I think Jane Austen, the Brontes and Beatrix Potter, probably because it came first. And people that are generally interested in literature and nature are also seemingly interested in those authors. And it's hard to tell which is my favorite. I also really love the class on James Harriet, where we spend four weeks kind of immersed in the landscape of Yorkshire and the animals that he would have treated as a vet. I don't know if you've seen the All Creatures Great and Small video series that's been out the last few years, but the course is based off of the life of James Harriet and the landscape he was around. That's a really fun one.
0: Yeah, they're all different.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I which of these authors I I still think Louisa May Alcott and her she's really connected with Henry David Thoreau. Um and Walden Pond and Concord because they all lived together and in fact Thoreau taught a class one summer for Louisa May Alcott the school she was in and so what? she learned her wildflowers from Thoreau. I mean, how cool is that?
0: <laughs> I had no idea wow yeah so then you make those connections that's the thing about learning in context you make those connections so if you're looking at through the lens of history and you're trying to remember when people lived at what time period those types of connections really help that is unbelievable i had no idea what a cool thing to learn so you said you're working right now on cs lewis where are you at with that one
1: well i have taught that a couple of times in person to middle school and high school ages. So I, I'm thinking about how I want to expand it into a video course. And I'm hoping to go to Oxford later this year and do some on the ground research again there. Wow. And Lewis was someone who would take his yearly holidays and go out to a remote place and do these walking tours. He would get a few friends. They would spend the entire day walking, stay at a pub overnight, and keep walking the next day. So he was very tied to nature. I think one of his earliest memories that sparked this joy in him was when his brother made, in a little tin, a tiny little fairy garden. and. Lewis was enamored with it. And I think it just opened up something in his mind. Also, interestingly, Beatrix Potter's Squirrel Nutkin was one of the earliest books that influenced C.S. Lewis. So you can see how all of these authors are tying together.
0: Wow. That's so cool. It's like a historical rabbit hole. I feel like when I read books, I love, I make a note of what books they're talking about. And then often that leads you to the next book, especially if it's been mentioned in lots of books. So this is an interesting thing, especially when there was less, less literature available. It's a little bit easier to dive Mm -hmm. in and to say who influenced who and what were they reading? And how interesting to even be able to find that information.
1: Oh, I know. I know it's so mind blowing and so fun (laughs) because you can trace that chain all the way from Jane Austen at the end of the 1700s all the way into the lives of Lewis and Tolkien here living. They lived in the 1900s. So just comes right on down.
0: So, do you have any stirrings of authors to come? If you're kind of working on C.S. Lewis now, do you have like this repository of, you know, someday I'd love to have these other ones too?
1: Oh, yes. I I keep a list. Uh, uh, Tokens on my mind has been for a long time because he was an artist and an author and he developed so much of the flora and fauna of Middle Earth. And I would love to compare that with our landscapes. So he's on my mind. Gene Stratton Porter, who was a nature writer from Indiana, where I live. I think that I'd like to make her the focus of my um, monthly nature journaling membership, maybe for next year. And I just love how many books that she wrote, so steeped in nature and right here in the US. And let's see, I just finished a class earlier this year on Queen Victoria and the Scottish Highlands.
0: Yeah, and that I was saw that. Really-
1: fun because she she really wanted to be a normal person for part of the year. And that's where she went to be that normal person. So yeah, uh, Token, Lewis, Jean Stratton, Porter, I feel like there's a couple of others that don't come to mind right now.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting though, because you said this is like an endless, it's an endless thing that Life, you know, it it feels like when you're growing up and I went to school and then, you know, go to college and then you're kind of done. And now that we're in this homeschool world and learning alongside of our kids, it has opened my eyes that, oh, my goodness, there's so much out there to learn about. And it's so fun to learn. It actually, I think, helps release dopamine. There's something about it. So this is neat. I mean, it just gets you excited about different ways to learn and different things to learn about so like i said yeah. people can come and find those classes they're six weeks but the wind in the willows is longer so those mm-hmm. are at the and people can kind of explore the different ones that you offer so you offer those bigger things but then you have smaller things as well just right on your website like different treasure mm-hmm. hunts so tell us about those for the different months
1: Uh, So I've started producing a little treasure hunt, which can be used for children or adults for every month, just to remind us that it's so exciting to be out in nature and looking for things. So I've put some things there that you can look for specific to the months and Of course, it's kind of specific to my Midwest area, but you have to work from the place where you live.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I always tell people just flip it around. You know, if it's if the April one works for your January, then just use it for January.
1: I do have a free little mini course on connecting to nature. And that comes when you sign up for my newsletter on my website. That just kind of gives you an idea of my philosophy of nature journaling, some really easy ways to begin nature journaling. My favorite is the five line a day, five year diary, where you just, record the temperature and maybe one or two things you saw. It's so easy. And uh, yeah, and then I also have a monthly membership for nature journaling. And that is where we have that monthly focus. It was birds this month. And we kind of go out into nature and I provide tutorials and lead everyone through the month. We also have tea time. So
0: that's the nature creative, right? Is that what that is? The nature creative? Yes. So each month yes. you have a different focus. And yeah. the format of that is actually you're getting together at least for the last one. Is that right? Like on Zoom?
1: It's play on demand. It's play on demand. It comes out each week and you play it whenever you want. But then at the end of the month, we do meet for a live Zoom chat and we share anything, our nature discoveries, what we've seen, maybe journal pages if we've created one, books we've read, stuff like that.
0: Well, that's so interesting. So it's almost like a monthly book club or just this touch point. So where are people from? Who are you connecting with at the end of the month?
1: We are from all over. It's mostly people in the U.S. and Canada that can make the Zoom. And I love it because we all share our weather at the beginning and what we've noticed with the theme. We And we've got California and Utah and Texas and Delaware and upstate New York and Connecticut and then Indiana and Ohio and just the diversity of the nature and the weather and all connected around the same theme. It just inspires me every time.
0: Yeah. So each month is a different theme for the nature Mm -hmm. creative and it it has a format Mm -hmm. of the videos on demand, which it looked like come Mm -hmm. out every Friday or something like that. And then there's a culmination at the end where everyone gets together. So what does it look like throughout the month then?
1: So the first week of the month, I send out an introductory video and tell what our theme is, maybe give a little introduction about it. Some inspiration this year, Henry David Thoreau is sort of our nature journaling mentor, so I usually share something from his life. And then I have a book video, suggested books on the theme that month that you might get from your library. Everyone loves that. I love that video. And then we have two watercolor tutorials that I you can just watch me painting and I give instruction through the whole video. We use a six color paint palette. And then the next, uh, we, we also focus on our sit spot the first Friday. The next Friday I send a video of a nature walk and nature walk prompts. And then the third Friday I send a video of tea time where I'm discussing how, how's it going through this month. Maybe here's what I've discovered, something from the journal. And here's a few more books that I've been enjoying. We bake the recipe. And then the final Friday is just kind of a tie up. I like to end the month with gratitude. What did we enjoy in nature this month? And what are we thankful for? And that's also the same week of our Zoom get together.
0: This is really fun. And do you find that this is also more focused toward high school and adult? Or do you have families that are joining in? How does that work?
1: So we have all ages, but I'll tell you what's really interesting for the nature creative. We have a lot of retired educators, (laughs) a lot of moms who have kind of graduated out of homeschooling, but still want to keep learning. Educators from the public school that want to keep learning after they're finished, just lifelong learners is what it is. Inspiration for, we do have homeschooling moms that are still homeschooling. We do have homeschooling families that use it with their families. So it's kind of, for all ages, but definitely people that don't want to stop learning.
0: Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com slash outside 120 and use code outside 120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside 120 at goodchop.com slash outside 120 for $120 off goodchop.com slash outside 120 code outside 120. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody, and my Vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessies Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, Transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com slash outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. Wow, what a community, a community of lifelong learners. It's only $18 a month. I was looking at some of The comments and the feedback, the reviews that people give. And this one said, this is such a wonderful class. I race each month to my inbox to see what the subject will be this month. So that reminds me of you, right? It's, it's this wonder and anticipation and excitement of what's it going to be. And then this one says, Heather Mm -hmm. is a gracious instructor who opens the door to the wonderful world of beauty and the miracles of nature that is all around us every day. I love it and highly recommend it. So, People can go, there's a lot of reviews there and just get a feel for what it's like and only $18 a month. So that's a fun way to find community and to be inspired and accountable to keep on Mm -hmm. learning. I just, I love that you're doing that. So you really have this breadth of things that you offer for families, for adults, for like you said, retirees and it runs the gamut, small things. Like you can look for wildflowers, or you can take these different courses, you have vocabulary on there. So you talked a minute ago about the six color paint palette. Tell us about mm-hmm. supplies. What are some of the staple nature journaling supplies?
1: So in all of my classes, we use the same six color palette and it's just uh quinacridone red rose, a, a yellow, it's similar to Hansa yellow, sap green, ultramarine blue, cerulean blue and burnt sienna. And with those six colors, we do everything. We do all of the paintings. And you might think it's limiting having six colors, but actually it's freeing because you don't have to think so much. And you get a lot of practice mixing colors together. So we also use a water brush. And I do that because I want everyone to have the same the access to the same materials and no one to you can use real brushes if you want but the water brush just keeps us all on the same level and shows that you can paint all these things in your journal with just a water brush plus they're great for out in the field and then pencil and I like to use a pilot pen just a gel pen
0: yes yes these are the best pens let's talk about that for a minute I like this Pilot one. It's called the Precise V5. These are my favorite pens, and it's a Pilot. It's a little different than your Pilot, but shout out to the Pilot pens.
1: Yes, and there's even one called Coffee Brown, and it comes from Japan. It's a Pilot pen, I think, but anyway, it's it's brown, and I love it. And then we also use a white gel pen because there's no – white paint in watercolor, but it's a Uniball Signo 153. I love those. So it's pretty much it and paper towels and some watercolor paper or a journal. I try to keep it really simple so it just can go in a tiny little bag wherever you're going.
0: Wow, that is really simple. That is what John Muir Law said is that it's an easy point of entry. So that was something that also stuck out to me. You know, when our kids were little and the diaper bag was full, I couldn't have probably brought the stuff, but as they got just a little bit older, it's so small, you can just tuck it in your bag. So you've got the watercolors, the paintbrush. Now, how does the paintbrush not leak? Because that's the one that's got the water that's filled into it, right?
1: I know. It does come with a cap. I always lose the caps. I've never really had a problem with it ever leaking. I keep one in my purse. I've wow. never had a problem with it. So you, if you're worried about it, keep the cap on it. But I should also say that I don't get to do most of my nature journaling on site. That just is a luxury, I feel. Hmm. So I do end up having to do a lot of my nature journaling from my phone, from pictures that I've taken. Um, So I kind of combine. If I can get outside and do it in person, that's the best. But I don't give up on it if I can't do
0: that. So,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, So I saw recently you've taken a bunch of pictures of peonies. And then did you come home and paint those?
1: I did because I couldn't stop right then. So I was staying with my friend and the next morning I painted at the breakfast table with her boys. And after Aww. I finished that peony, my little godson crawled on my lap and I let him paint in my journal. And there it was, his first little painting in my nature journal. So,
0: ah. That's so sweet. Well, that's a great idea too, especially with kids. If you're out and about and they have different ideas or things that catch their eye that you can just snag a picture of it and then come home Mm -hmm. and try and paint it or draw it later. When you talk about those six colors, and this is my ignorance, did you pick those six colors or is that a sort of standard? Like you're saying all these words like, Cerulean blue. (laughs) And if you hold, if people could see, you held up that paint palette, it looks just black to me, (laughs) you know, in the middle. I know.
1: I think what is standard is that you have the primary colors, the red, yellow, and the blue. And then I just picked which red, yellow, and blue I wanted. And I wanted two blues and the burnt sienna, which I almost categorize, well, I guess, as a yellow, but it's a brown. So I just, need that to make gray with ultramarine. There was kind of a method to what I chose, but it's a lot of painters would have something similar. They might just choose a little different yellow or a little different red.
0: That's interesting to me. Well, how many options? I don't know anything about it. How many options are there?
1: Oh my word. I don't know. I, I get my paint off of Chief Joe's website and there's probably 50 or 60 colors I could choose. <laughs> So I need to just have six and these, I feel you can't get everything with these six colors, but you can get most things. And that's what I think it's about choosing what are the six colors where I can get the most. But if I was going to go on a longer trip, maybe I would take a few extra colors just for the fun of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah that's interesting oh. that six colors gets i mean if, if people looked at your website you have stickers and all of these different artworks and so to think that those came from mainly six colors is pretty fascinating that's something that a yeah. kid would really learn a lot about color palettes and mixing of shades and colors and things like that through using just those six so what is your favorite thing to paint or draw
1: ah oh, i think <laughs> well, I love flowers. Flowers are my favorite thing to look at. But then when I want to paint or draw, I'm really drawn towards a landscape, I think. I think I think it has to be that. And I think it comes back to my childhood and those landscape views that I saw as, as a toddler. And, mm-hmm. and I know that's why I'm drawn to the Lake District where Beatrix Potter lived. It's the similar landscape to that place where I was born.
0: Huh. Yeah. And you do just a lot of talking about landscapes and what would someone have been looking at in their childhood. That's interesting. What's the hardest thing for you to paint or draw?
1: Oh, for sure. People, (laughs) people are the hardest. And with that, probably complicated animals. Yeah. That would be difficult because I think I want to make the person look so much like the person I'm drawing and I get frustrated by my Inability to do so, and I also with people. People are so beautiful when you you just sit there and appreciate them as a person and know the inside of them, and you want that beauty to come out in the painting. And yeah. then I feel like I can't make that. So maybe someday, maybe I'll practice. Yeah,
0: <laughs> things to work on. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. And what do you find when people come to your classes? What do you find in terms of skill level? Do people shy away from it? Do you have, I mean, I would imagine you have a huge range. This is a pretty vulnerable time, right? To share your art, to show what you've been working on. How does that tend to go? Well,
1: I don't pressure everyone to share. It's an optional thing if you want to share. And also I love the fact that in the classes, we do a lot of exercises like color studies. So you don't have to have any previous expertise at drawing or, or making shapes to just put some paint on the paper and that's where we practice mixing the colors and we'll take a flower and look at it and can we find say nine colors in this Mm. flower, in this one pink flower and you think, no, we can't. But when you look at it, yes, you can, you can find nine different shades or colors and it's so fun and I think that it's really empowering to people to realize they can do an exercise like this without any previous artistic knowledge. And you'd be surprised yeah. how much progress p- beginners make when they just start doing it. As John muir likes to talk about those pencil miles, <laughs> they add yeah. up. So.
0: Yeah. And he said, it really helps you learn that you can grow. He talks about how there's only two areas in life where people feel that they can't grow, that they say, I'm just not good at it. And he says, it's math and art. But this helps to change Mm -hmm. your mindset on that. And I just thought that was a really powerful thing too. I taught math. And so I did see that. I taught high school. And so you see that by the time they're that age, they're either confident that they're good at it or they're confident that they're bad at it. And so to be able to change mindset of that, no, we can always get better and always improve, even in these different Mm -hmm. realms that seem like you can't, is a really powerful thing. I am curious, because you talk a lot about history and you dive into these historical figures and their lives, how does your art compare and contrast to your family history, this four generations of artists?
1: Well, okay, so that's interesting. On my mom's side, watercolor was the medium of choice. That's what everyone's been using for, I'd be the fourth and then my kids would be the fifth generation So there is a special kind of connection we have to watercolor and it kind of feels like that's just the family way to do it. So for sure, that's what put the watercolors in my hand. Now my aunt and uncle, this is on my dad's side then, they would all be using oils and that would be, I would be the third generation on that side. So oils is something that I've dabbled in, but just don't have time with a busy family to do that. So someday I'm going to do that because you can capture different things with the oils, Hmm. but yeah, the watercolor. And so that just lent itself perfectly to nature journaling. Uh, The fact that this is what our family uses. And so, yeah.
0: Yeah. And when you go in and you add all this beautiful script and writing, what are you using for that?
1: Okay. Those are Tombow brush pens, They have a small tip on one end and a brush tip on the other. I love them. They're not waterproof. So you have to be careful that you uh, don't paint over them or get water on them. But Mm -hmm. as a child, so I was homeschooled. I don't know if I told you that, but I was homeschooled. One of the things I did was to practice calligraphy on my own as like a 12, 13, 14 year old. So I started that script at a young age and just Mm -hmm. kind of kept it up. And it's become sort of part of my handwriting. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's just been a nice thing to complement my watercolors, I guess. Mm-hmm.
0: It's so pretty. Do you feel, this is my only thing with watercolors, is there's some control. I'm sure a lot of control. But then there's also a little bit of not control. It's where the water goes. <laughs> so does that make you nervous?
1: Yeah, and especially because certain parts of me have a more lack of um what's the word i'm not as, as spontaneous of a person as a, as other people are and so i think but i found that the watercolor is good for me to sort of develop that other side of my personality <laughs> a little bit more and there's i think there's uh liz Steele, who is a watercolorist out of australia i think she always said embrace the wonkiness so I just try to tell myself that embrace the wonkiness.
0: <laughs> I love that.
1: And it's a good way for us to just be reminded that these things don't have to be perfect, that it's just part of life and we're, we're recording nature. And yeah, it, we, we don't want it all perfect.
0: Yeah. I mean, but the thing is, is that it is very whimsical and darling and endearing. You know, I walked by your booth and you're just drawn to all of those different things. So even though there's a little bit of lack of control, it still seems to all come together. That's the thing about watercolor. I think it, it looks beautiful no matter what you do. So, hmm. I mean, maybe that's an overstatement, but it, the way that it blends together and this is beautiful and i'm looking right now at your backdrop has got a mushroom and a, a beautiful landscape and birds up there and so it's just gorgeous to look at and people can come and find you at thenaturejournaler.com and online at the nature Journaler. you have great posts great ideas different types of classes especially like i said heading into the summer this would be a fun thing to do for just like non-worksheet summer learning and summer expansion Mm -hmm. and summer growth. I'm all about that, like leave the worksheets behind, let the kids be for the summer and do these fascinating things that help them to learn in an integrated way amongst the Mm -hmm. subjects. So Heather, this has been such a delight. I have learned so much and even more than that, been inspired to keep learning and to look at things different. Like what are some different ways that you can look at the biographies? What are some different ways that you can go on trips and pick a theme to notice with your family? All those types of things. So this has just been a fantastic episode. I know people are going to love it and get so much out of it like I did. So we always end our podcast with the same question. And the question is, what is a favorite memory from your childhood that was outside?
1: Well, I... When I'm thinking about that right now, what stands out to me is that every summer we would drive all the way out to Long Island off of of New York State and stay with my great uncle. And just around the corner from his house was a tiny little inlet. The beach was just a rocky beach. It wasn't like a nice beach. But I remember standing there, willing myself to remember every little detail of the water and how the trees looked on the other side and just thinking, oh, I've got to store up this beauty and remember it and take it with me for the next year ahead. And I would kind of do that every year. And funny enough, that practice that I started in my childhood, I still do. And it's kind of like gathering the beauty and letting it feed my soul for the months ahead. And it's interesting to think back, I was doing that as a child and I'm sure my parents had no idea. Just like we don't realize the benefit when we get our children outside. We don't know all the ways it's affecting them, but but it is.
0: Huh, like internally. That's so interesting. I think about that in the fall when there's those explosion of those deep colors from the mums and the pumpkins and that's how, and the the leaves, Mm -hmm. all those deep colors and the brilliance of it. And that's what I try and do, store it up Uh to help make it through the winter because the winter is white and there's very little color but the cardinals and You know the red berries on the trees but besides that you're not seeing much color when you live in a place where it snows so that's an interesting thing yeah you you kind of you want it to seep into your soul to sustain you Mm -hmm. until whatever comes back the color comes back or you return to the same place that's beautiful yeah well heather this has been awesome i'm so glad we connected at iahe the conference in indiana it was in indianapolis this past year and it was a fantastic conference And like I said, you know, the conferences, you learn a lot there, but one of the best parts is that you do meet new people and you get to further those relationships once the conferences are over. So, so glad you were there and so glad that we've connected and thank you for this time.
1: Thank you so much, Jenny. It's been a wonderful time.
2: We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because, let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.